everybody. Welcome back to my podcast with your host, Trinity Gwen. Um, this episode is kind of be going to be a bit of a two-parter. I'm going to talk about a part two of my music episode, my very first topic that I ever talked about here, and a bit of about Over the Garden Wall, which is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, there's a reason why they, <laughs> there's a reason why I'm going to talk about both and not you know, one this episode and one the other episode because I feel like I combine the two just enough for it to be a decent sized episode. So, um, disclaimer, I have talked about this show countless times and if you're in my circle, if you know me, you've probably heard me talk about it and I've also made an entire presentation about this show from my intro to literary studies class. So, if you're ever... If we were in a class together and you saw this, you probably don't want to hear it again. But if you've never watched it, um, I would suggest go watching it on either Hulu or HBO Max. I don't know any other streaming platforms. There are other ways you can watch it. I'm not going to say it, but um, there are ways. If you want to trial the show, I think it might have been Cartoon Network who put the entire first full episode on YouTube so you can look at that and see how it works the whole show it's just it's a mini series it's um 10 11 minute episodes so it's about under an hour wait no I think it's more than an hour I don't know why I've been saying that it's been an hour this whole time when it's like it's not well yeah no it's like (laughs) it's like 110 minutes right 10 times 11 or 11 times 10 let's see that jeez yeah it's 110 minutes so that's almost two hours whatever um you finish the show within two hours but um it's a really good show we're gonna talk about at the second half because like I said there's a lot of people that I know who have heard me talk about this so yeah if you want to click off after that then that's your time to do it that's just what I wanted to say before I started so music um if you haven't listened to my music episode the very first one that I made I basically talked about my relationship with music how I am a musician like I play trombone and I've been playing it this is gonna be my ninth year this summer of playing the trombone it's very exciting I haven't been practicing because I have been working and I've been um planning because I'm me and my friend Ava are planning a tea party this weekend, so I haven't had that much to do. And we've been playing it for the past couple of weeks. Um, I've been trying to figure out what to wear, you know, decor, what we're bringing to the table and all that. It's fun. Maybe I'll have a little side quest about that. Maybe we'll have another episode this week talking about it. Who knows? Um, because I feel really bad that I didn't post anything last week because it was just like this week. Last week was also he- hectic. So, yeah. Um... I am going to talk about something that I experience a lot when I listen to music, but classical music specifically. Um, I don't know if this is, if I, if I'm pronouncing it right, it's Frizen, Frizen, I don't know. It's F-R-I-S-S-O-N. And I've been trying to research it more and look at videos and watch videos and listen to more, but I haven't found much. So if you ever have anything, you can reach me, um, on my Instagram I realized I did not uh, it's about to become a year of having my podcast and my podcast and the Instagram has been about the same it's about they're both a year old and I realized I did not promote that on here so my Instagram for this podcast is corner of Pam there's no acronyms um it's no spacing either it's just corner of capital P-A-M that's it and the profile picture should be the cover art of this podcast so yeah if you ever want to have a conversation with me we can work something out and you know maybe bring something to the table um which I think would be fun so yeah that's the Instagram um I when I listen to music like I said specifically classical music I get this feeling because it's besides goosebumps of course I get goosebumps when I listen to music um lyrical now that I think about it music's music that has lyrics in it give me goosebumps but with classical music it gives me this feeling in my head 
and I'm going to explain it. So hopefully there's more than one person who experiences this and I'm trying to explain it the best way. So if any part of your body falls asleep, just say your foot, your foot is like falling asleep that feeling, but in your brain, not all over your head, but in your brain. I don't think it's a bad thing because it's happened for a long time and it's like, ooh, have you decided on going to the doctor? I'm pretty, I, I think I'm fine. But um, I get that feeling when I listen to classical music and there's like a, a big change within the orchestra that records for movie soundtracks and stuff like that. I have a big list of movie soundtrack songs that I will definitely put in today's episode's description. Um, most of them, funny enough, aren't from Disney because Disney songs do have lyrics in them, mostly. But um, there's going to be a couple of songs from Luca in there, some Studio Ghibli, Over the Garden Wall, um, and there's just some just orchestras that I just like listen to. So um, when I think about that, I usually make a story for it. So like I, I made with um, Take Me Gravity in the first episode of music, I talked about how freeing it was and how it just reminded me of being free when you're a kid. I mean, you're not as free as you are with as being an adult, but just the freedom of being outside and running down a hill or just running around with your friends. It's that that's what I capture when I listen to that song. And <laughs> maybe I'll have because I have a video of myself um, explaining this and I posted it on my snap a long time ago and maybe it'll be like a, a subcategory in the Instagram but this song called Danza Number 2 by Gustavo Dudamel and fun fact he actually um, played alongside with Billie Eilish in her Disney special on Disney Plus and I thought it was really cool um, he played or he composed this piece called Dance Number Two, I believe. And when I watch the performance and I listen to it, I make my own story about it. And I made an entire plot in my head. And it was basically based on um, a dance for the hand in, of the princess. Wait, a dance for the princess's hand in marriage. And I, I will probably explain that a little better again and then post it on my Instagram so it'll make sense so I can put it alongside with the music because I could do it right now but you guys probably haven't heard the majority of the song and it just wouldn't make sense to do that. So um, more of that, I also made kind of a story with a walk in the skies but I just kind of think about it as um, Howl and Sophie but I also think of it as like a royal thing but nothing to do with like princess's hand in marriage it's like oh they're married this is their dance as a married couple type thing so yeah that's what I think about I make a lot of stories in my head maybe I'll just make a whole series of that and put it on Instagram for just some stuff for you to watch unless I I don't post anything for the week um I learned something in my elements of film class when we had a spaghetti western unit or not a unit it was it was merely a lesson so we talked about how music is basically makes the movie and I agree with that a thousand percent because the majority of the the movies that I like watching I enjoy the soundtrack out of it because it fits so well with it and I talk about this a lot because I also have a movie based um, story on my Snapchat. It's called 2D Fanatic and um, because I love 2D animation and I'm just a fanatic for it. So anyway, um, I watch, I, I do watch anime and the most recent anime that I'm watching for the first time because I'm re-watching Hunter x Hunter because they announced new chapters and I just want to like refresh myself um the I'm watching One Piece right now and it's a pirate anime and it's got like a thousand episodes that I have to catch up with because my boyfriend was like oh I want you to watch it and I was like oh okay and I started watching it and I really enjoyed it so <laughs> um 
I started watching it and I started liking the theme. I forgot what it was called. I forgot what it was called. I'm going to find the piece name and be right back. Okay, so the piece is called Overtaken. And like I said, this is from One Piece. And I'm actually going to play it. So like, screw it. So when I listen to it, I'm thinking like, okay, I think about sales and things like that. And then right here, I think about just the pan of a big, big pirate ship just filled with pirates on their way to their next adventure and i think it's really cool it's really good um i'm on episode 400 out of a thousand hopefully i'm gonna watch a bit more because i have a lot more to watch but yeah this happens after or this happens when everyone's about to fight and it's really good yeah and then once that happens it's like to be continued. That happens every time. Every time. It gives me every time because I, I hear the song and I'm like, okay, we're about to go on the next episode, but it just doesn't click that we're about to be like, oh, to be continued because that's how every episode ends. So yeah, um, Keegan probably listening to this is probably kind of geeked out that I'm actually very um, invested in his favorite show because this is his favorite anime. So yeah, um, now that I have that example I wish I can play more maybe I can I wish I can ask and then get an answer just immediately but um I just think it's really cool how composers sit and think about their chord progression and what instruments they're gonna use like their primary instrument they're gonna use because I hear a lot of brass like a lot of low brass when I listen to Overtaken so and a bit of obviously like obviously strings and stuff but um when I listen to that and I think about composers doing like, oh, like what kind of chord progression, what kind of piece, what kind of um, time signature do we want to do? It takes a lot of time to actually illustrate the movie. Because I think, because I, with some people, they make the music and then they put it around the soundtrack. I think that would obviously make more sense, but I think it would also work you know, when you see the characters and you see maybe the first strip. And I don't know. I don't know. Because if you get, if you're given an assignment and you're like, okay, we want to talk, we, we have a show about pirates. I, I, I'm guessing this is how a pitch would go for a composer. Then someone's like, okay, we are trying to drive, like make a show about pirates. And um, one of them wants to be the king of the pirates. And he's trying to build his own crew just strangers he just meets from trying to be king of pirates and when the composer's like okay cool maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do that just without nothing i think that's cool but given some help or like some what what the context of the show is maybe that that works too I'm, i wonder maybe i should just i'll read more on that and i'll come back to you guys with it but i think that's cool i think i'm gonna say that a lot like thinking something's cool i don't know it's like a it's not a word discrepancy it's just it's like a word filler it's a filler word it's an it's a word to to describe filler words that's not filler words i i know it starts with a d i just don't know what it is and it's been driving me crazy but either way um that's stuff like that is what um triggers the little brain thing that i that i get in my head and it's it's exciting because it's always unprovoked and i every time i listen to it because i listen to these pieces more than once and it happens at different times because it'll happen in maybe the first 30 seconds of the piece or maybe like the last 30 seconds another time and that's it's weird it's it's really crazy how our brains work even though we've heard something a thousand times um this is fun. I'm going to do another one. And then that's it. Danza number two is really long to explain because that piece is about 10 minutes. But I'm going to play the empty bucket from Ponyo. And um, when I play this song, um, just like Ponyo reminds me of Finding Nemo because this is a fish trying to find her family because she doesn't want to be a fish. She wants to be a girl. And one of the pieces in this album is actually called I Want to Be a Girl. I think that's funny. Um, when I listen to this, I think about a body of water and at this part of the movie, Sasuke is looking over the water cause he just lost Ponyo and he found, when he found her, he put her 
in a bucket this blue pail with a green strap over it, I think. Or the other way around. And he's talking to his mom. He's like, maybe if I put the bucket over the gate, she'll come back and she'll remember where to come back. And I think it's really cute. I really want them to make another Ponyo. But I, I doubt it because a lot of Studio Ghibli pieces don't have a sequel. And I really wish they would. But it's a really beautiful piece. Yeah. I lied again. I'm going to do one more because I just thought about something else from this piece, from, from Ponyo. Um, I did another connection about this, um, and I don't know if anybody kind of like listens or remembers, but this piece called, it's not Ponyo Rides a Sea of Fish, it's Ponyo Flies. So I watch Studio Ghibli movies a lot. And this part when Ponyo finally grows her legs and her feet, when she's riding on her sis, like she's riding on her fish sisters, this part, it reminds me of Ride of the Valkyries, which is one of the pieces I had to um, practice for an audition last year for my freshman year. I'm going to get to the, to the part, but I don't want to... That part reminds me of Ride of the Valkyries. Now I'm going to play Ride of the Valkyries and you have to see where I'm coming from because the cadence of it is exactly the same. Even the beginning. Here it is. I'm like, I wonder if Joe Hisaishi thought about Ride of the Valkyries with this. It's coming. Hold on. You guys hear it? I hope so. I hope so. I hope I'm not sounding crazy this whole time. So if you don't know the backstory of Ride of the Valkyries and why it was written, it was basically... So basically, if you're aware of Thor in the MCU and in Norse mythology, because that's what it's based on, that's what Ride of the Valkyries is based on, then you'll know Valkyrie and Odin, that's all that whole world. So a Valkyrie is basically a woman who serves Odin dressed in armor because Valkyrie I think it means chosen of the slain who decides the fate and guides deceased soldiers who died in battle so that's basically what it is because it's supposed to be a very mean song but very it's not supposed to be lighthearted and it's not supposed to be sweet it's supposed to be very rugged and the cadence in Empty Bucket and Ride of the Valkyries are very similar, if you heard it. And it's very fun. And I, it, it was fun to play. And I think I have to play that again for this audition, but um, in a lower octave. So that should be fun. Uh, it came up a year, actually. A couple of days ago, um, what made a year of me having my first ever professional horn. Because I have a lot of straight trombones, but I don't... At the time, I didn't have a trombone with an F attachment, and I've been using at the schools and my high schools for a long time, and I finally got one. And I name a lot of my my belongings. Like, I name, of course, I name my Squishmallows, and I don't really name my phone or anything or my laptop. No, it's just, you know, like, I name my car, but I don't call her that. I, I don't I don't call my, my car because my car's name is Jade. I don't really call her Jade. It's just like, oh, my car. But I just, if someone asks me, it's just like, does it have a name? I'm like, yeah, it's Jade. Um, I named my, my first ever horn that wasn't mine Gilligan because it was gold. <laughs> Sometimes they have a little bit of correlation um, just because. And I just really like Gilligan's Island. I never watched the show, but I just really like the, the name Gilligan. Um, he was, yeah, they, they have genders. Um, Gilligan was a, I think he was a Yamaha. Yeah, he was a Yamaha. If you're starting to play trombone, you'll play a couple of Yamahas here and there because that's a good student bone to start off with. Um, then I got my, my first ever trombone that my grandma bought for me because I did explain that in the other, other 
episode. I think I explained some of my, the names of my trombones, but I'm not sure if I remember if I did, but I'll just repeat it again. Uh, my first trombone that I got from my grandma is Silver and his name is Sylvester because I like Sylvester, like Sylvester Stallone. And Silver sounds like Sylvester. So yeah, um, he does not really play that well because he's a cheap brand that she got from Amazon, which is cute. But like I said, she passed away years ago, but Sylvester rests as she rests. So that's that's kind of what, you know, he's, he's in my closet. He's chill. He's chilling. Sometimes I take him out, play him here and there. But like I said, he doesn't really play that well because some you can be a really good player, but the bone can just be. Let me just say the trombone. The trombone can be really cheaply made, and the structure of the horn and the slide and just you know, just how it's built just just does not just does not go right. And even even the mouthpiece. Some mouthpieces are cheaply made as well. And I remember when I was in school of music. I had, uh, I was playing Sylvester or I was playing another horn that I got from my school and, um, or I, yeah, I remember now I rented another horn from the school of music and that one was Yoda cause he was a Yamaha and I still do, but I, I was a star Wars fan. Like I, I really enjoyed the whole, the whole thing. And I named him Yoda because he was Yamaha and just because I like Yoda and all of that. But um, when I was playing one day at the School of Music, they were just like, um, can I see your your mouthpiece? And they looked at it and I'm like, ooh, this is, this, is, this is not, this is garbage. We need to get you a new one immediately. So we got one. And I think I actually, I rented that one too, because you can rent a lot of stuff. And eventually I bought my own, um, my own, like my own horn. Yes. But I also got my own mouthpiece because when you get a professional horn with an F attachment and sometimes the base where you put the mouthpiece is, has a much larger shank than a regular straight trombone. So the, the tube part, like the longer part of the mouthpiece is a bit thicker around the rim. So you'd have to get a thicker one. And I didn't get one at the time. And I think because the measurements are like 12C, six and a half shank. And I didn't have one at the time. So I had to add an adapter to my mouthpiece to put into the horn. So it was a lot. We've had a lot of adapting and it's, it's cool now. I have my own things and I plan to build more. I plan on getting a plastic trombone actually because I used we used to play plastic um, instruments in elementary school and I thought they were just fun to have. Of course, I wouldn't bring it to, to a concert because I want a purple one because like, yeah, yellow's my favorite color, but it's brass. Like my instruments are mainly brass except for the um, Sylvester. I think Sylvester is actually made of nickel. I don't know. I have to look it up. Maybe that's why it doesn't play. I don't know. I don't know. I have to think. So, um, I have, I have a lot of straight horns, so I'm trying to go based on the ones I don't own and the ones I own. So once I got into high school, I still had, I don't think I had my own horn. Yeah, I didn't. Like I, I didn't have my own horn yet except for Sylvester. So I got, um, I'm trying to think because I have so many. I'm actually probably going to go play after <laughs> this episode. I'm going to do so much. I have so much to do. So once I got, because ah, there's been so many trombones that I played with. Um, high school, I was in the freshman building because our school was so big. So we had a freshman building and then opposed to like the upperclassmen from sophomore to senior. We, I, I rented, uh, what was his name? Dexter. I named him Dexter just because he was killing it and I was killing it freshman year. <laughs> and if you watch, I've never seen Dexter, but I understood like Dexter was like a serial killer basically. So it was like, ah. So yeah, um, sophomore year to senior year, I played the same horn and I just named him NN because he was no name and NN squared because part two from junior year. And then I don't think... 
I think I actually gave him a name my senior year, which was funny. I named him Johan because he was a Bach horn. Johann Sebastian Bach. So I just named him Johan because it was easy. And then I got some other two horns in between because a marching band, you can't have a... I mean, you can, but it's not it's not suggested that you have an F attachment in marching band. So when I was in marching band, I had my straight trombone and I had a Besson, B-E-S-S-O-N. And that was the brand, but I named the horn Bricotta for some reason. I don't know because it was, I don't, I really don't know. I just came up with that name. I don't know where it came from. It just, it was Bricotta, just I don't know. That was high school Trinity. And then I got another horn that was a King horn because I heard King was really good. And his name is Kingston, like Sean Kingston. And that's it. And because at first it was going to be Kelly, just because Kelly ain't King. But I was like, nah, I like Kingston. And now I have my own, like the F attachment horn. And I named her Calliope. And yes, she's a girl now because she has like a rose gold finish near the like halfway um from the bell and it's really pretty and she's con like c-o-n that's her brand yeah there's a lot i've had a lot i feel like i for i'm forgetting some but i don't think so but yeah i've talked about music so much i can go on on a tangent i will probably have some stories about music in another episode maybe not the next one i'm gonna paste these out obviously so um yeah but we'll, we'll never know. We'll see. So now we're going to talk about Over the Garden Wall. So if you've heard me talk about it, now is the time that you can probably click out. Or if you want to hear me talk about this again, certainly be my guest. Uh, I, like I said in the beginning, I made a presentation about this in my intro to literary study class. And you're probably thinking, um, this is a show. You took a literary study class, literature. So I'm going to explain that. So I was a film major at the time. Now I'm an advertising major. Hopefully we'll see. Who knows? It might change. Um, for now, I think it's staying. But um, I was in a class full of English majors. And I just had a like for in, in literary study. And I wanted to, you know, go above, like I think I talked about in my book episode, I wanted to broaden my reservoir of books like I I didn't want to stick with one genre for so long I wanted to pan out but I think what I'll never read is mystery books I just I just no I'm sorry I, I can't really get into those thriller even either I mean I'm, I'm sure the imagery and the, the the description of everything just I don't know I don't think it can beat the actual movie because yeah I'm sure it in the book from Stephen King is way different. That book is huge. I don't even think, because some books are just way too intimidating to read, especially if the font and the sizing of the book is really tiny. Um, I'm trying to think of it besides uh, it. I don't know. That was just like the biggest book that I have ever seen. And I thought it was like, okay, no, I'm definitely not going to read this book. War and Peace. I think War and Peace is like another book that's like that. And I don't even think I, I, I really understand that. I might read it just to say that I did, just like with other classics and see if I um, <laughs> I enjoy them. Another book will probably be like, that I tried to read is like Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Right? Did Jane Austen write Pride and Prejudice? I'm pretty sure I'm right. I gotta be. I know I am. Let me check. it's <laughs> I tried to type it in and it was like pride month <laughs> pride parade because <laughs> it's June um give me a sec pride and prejudice is written by yeah I was right it's Jane Austen okay just want to make sure because I kind of got Emily Bronte wrong but that was Jane Eyre I believe I think so and Wuthering Heights Wuthering Heights one of those um but yeah, I read that book or I started to read it and I was like, okay, is this book really a classic or is it just really old? That's all I'm saying because it's so glamorized in the movie, but you know, you'll enjoy a movie more than a book 
um, just because, you know, you can actually put these characters on paper into an actual physical person. But I'm getting ahead of what I'm actually supposed to be talking about, and I'm supposed to be talking about Over the Garden Wall. And um, the show that I watch is, it was on Cartoon Network, and I'm actually pulling up my old presentation because I, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm getting all the tabs that I, I talked about because we're not going to talk about this long so um, I'm going to talk about the three the big three and what I like to analyze because the show is very very analytical and before I even go further this does talk about the unknown which is basically a place where Greg and Wirt go those are the two main characters Greg is the youngest Wirt is the oldest and like I said this is the final warning Please go watch it if you haven't watched it and you decide to watch it because I am going to spoil. And if you feel, if you don't care, that's fine too. But, um, Wirt and Greg, after something happens, which I will explain later, um, find this, find themselves into the unknown. And the show came out, um, in 2011. Yeah. So it's about 11 years old and I'm gonna put my own interpretation of the unknown the beast and the lantern now you're probably wondering how I even got to talk about this and um I will explain it to you so in my intro to literary study class the entire course because it was a semester course uh we talked about and we learned about all of these literary criticisms and how it's portrayed in in writing and in magazines and advertisements and things like that or ads whatever um, <laughs> so, uh, we learned about, cause there's quite a lot. There's new, there's new criticism, there's political, there's psychological, there's reader's response, which is the one that I did. And we'll talk about that more than the other ones. There's, um, feminist and post-feminist theory. There is biographical and there's historical and new historical. There's so many, I think I, I hit them all. But, um, if, I don't know if you're my professor and you're listening to this or one of the people who are in my class somehow got to this, then you'll probably just fill me in if, um, what I forgot. So I talked about reader's response theory and how I got to talk about this theory is it was one of these projects that only a small amount of people could talk about this one project and you had to, it was kind of like not Russian roulette, but it was kind of like first come first serve. That's what it is. So we got to, it was a paper passed around and there was a list. There was like new criticism, reader's response. Oh, deconstruction. I forgot about that one. Historical. And all of them had like four slots per theory. And I was like, Ooh, reader's response. Cause I was actually in between doing feminist. Cause like the, and, um, reader's response and historical. Cause I'm like sort of a history buff. So, and a movie buff, one of those. <laughs> so, uh, reader's response theory I learned before I, I chose what we had to do it's focused on close reading and it assumes that the reader is actively making a new meaning for something so reader's response theory is widely fueled by ambiguity so there's more than one interpretation there's more than one answer than that and I, I really like reader's response theory more than anything else because it's also um two approaches that you can come with it it can be purely subjective and then it's can also be like okay what did the actual author actually mean with this what was his ideal approach when he was making this piece or she was making this piece or they were making this piece right so when I think about reader's response theory in a group and we're talking about the subjective side you know when you know, when people say um, music is subjective, books are subjective, makeup is subjective, fashion is subjective. It's purely what you think about this topic or what you think about this this piece of clothing or whatever. And when we think about books and music, those two heavily being subjective in this world, it's like, how do you feel about it? And why did it make you think about this? Because um, an example I would that, that I can come up quickly is happier than ever and when I believe the intention of this song I believe Billy wrote this as a breakup song but when I think about it I think about because the first lyrics are when I'm away from you I'm happier than ever 
when I think about this song, I think when I'm away from the Trinity I am now, this 18, about to be 19 year old Trinity, um, who has all these thoughts and responsibilities, new, new responsibilities and things that she wants to do. I'm happier than ever because I think about when I was younger and I didn't have any worry in the world and I didn't, everything was carefree in a way. So just merely, it's merely subjective to think about stuff. So that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I hate this, but music is subjective. And then that's their, that's, that's their excuse, which is, I mean, it's valid, but sure. Um, so, um, Another thing is it's very valuable because one person's response might enrich another one's and it just, like I said, creates an entirely different meaning and makes more connection, which is what I love. I like making human connections and human experiences and sharing those. I really enjoy that. I really, I think that's, it's really cool and it's really fun and it's very cute. I don't know if I said that already, <laughs> but, um, As a film major, our professor had a default list of poems under each criticism because it was like, just in case you don't think of anything, because we had a free-for-all of what we can do, but he was just like, just make sure we have a conversation about it, about what you're doing. So I was like, okay, what if I, can I do Over the Garden Wall? Is this a possibility? Because I don't want to do a poem. I I have a, a very limited appreciation for poems not limited it's just like I like close reading and I like breaking things down but it's just sometimes it's like okay um (laughs) let's I I I want to listen to it because when you when it comes to poems what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to read it then you're gonna read it out loud then you're gonna go back and then you have to do it all over again right but when you go to an open mic you can't do that and you have to listen to, to what it really is. And that's, I think that's where reader's response theory kind of thrives in because you can think one thing, but the artist is just like, oh, that's not what I was talking about at all. I was talking about my pet dog that died a couple of years ago and it just, it just sucked. And I was like, oh, I thought we were talking about, I don't know, life or just like your school, <laughs> whatever. See, so it's just kind of, they just don't match sometimes, but um, some of the, I, I did look at the reader's response poem list and I was like, man, these are quite boring. Even though I can find my own, my own interpretation of this, eh, I don't want to, I want to do something that I already know and something that could spark other people's interest because I know talking about poems and English, um, of course it was, it was cool for the whole class because the rest of the whole class were English majors and these are people who want to be English teachers and stuff and English professors. Um, maybe it's just, you know, a little break. You know, just a little innocent cartoon break. So, yeah, um, I talked about how um, some of these relate to death because this show kind of sparks a little bit of the, you know, what happens after we die. And now that I talk, now that I'm bringing this up, I cannot stress this enough. This is not assuming that we all go to the unknown with pumpkin heads and talking birds and and witches once we die. This is not to brainwash the children of the afterlife and heaven and hell. It's strictly fiction, okay? Um, It just kind of boggles my mind when the thought of someone dying in in a TV show that used to be drawn on paper is like, oh, it's brainwashing the kids, but it's like people allow their kids to watch The Little Mermaid. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a little bit hypocritical to me. And I understand because some people are very heavily enriched in their faith, of course, because my family is and we are, but it's like some things are just like, just, just for innocence. You know, somebody... Um, watch turning red with their kids and they were like after five minutes I turned it off because it's teaching the kids to deceive their parents and I'm like the the movie is that is not what the movie is about it's about girls going through puberty where'd you get this from so (laughs) um it's just quite crazy to me that's that's what it is like I said this is a tv show it's fiction um so now that we talk about the unknown um it's basically 
uh, everyone in this place has a task and um, the creator of the over the garden wall made it known that the viewers interpretation is valid like they came out and were just like ah anything's valid I don't care so the unknown in my opinion oops sorry is a purgatory which is an in-between stage of life and death um everyone like I said they have a task and like the woodsman said in the first episode everyone has a torch to burn and that quote-unquote torch is to either fulfill it, find peace, or submit into the darkness, almost like a coma. So that's why I think it's in between. You're not alive, but you're not dead. Because I have never gone into a coma, but I've, you know, in movies or in, in videos and things like that, people talk about what they see when they're in a coma. Or like if they see some loved ones that are not with them in the present, they see somebody else, you know? So, um, the woodsman's task is to keep his daughter's soul, which is trapped in the lantern, alive by cutting down Edelwood trees. And Edelwood trees are people who have submitted into the darkness, who have submitted to the beast, which is another piece that I'm talking about in the show. Now, the people in the unknown could also be in Greg and Wirt's situation, but in a different way. And, um, just like the people who are in the tavern who were, because they all had their own roles, or maybe they died in that role, or like they, they had a coma, just like whatever. They went unconscious, and this this is their subconscious mind being in another place before they go to another place. Because Beatrice, who is a bird who travels alongside Greg and Wirt, is a, is a real person, but <laughs> she threw a rock at a bird and... <laughs> she turned into a bird along with her family and she's been and she tried to um try to change them and she deceived Greg and Wirt while doing that in the end but they they figured out what to do afterwards and they and they made up which was cool so um the beast is not the woodsman now when I thought when I watched that I was like, okay, the woodsman seems like the beast. Maybe it's just like right in your face that he's the beast, but he's just like, this is just, he's not truly a monster until he's provoked, you know? Like he's not threatened or anything. No, but the beast is the actual character in the show. It's a, just a, a being with antlers. Like it, I can't tell you what kind of species it is because it's, it's a beast. And when I watched the show and I started reading more on it, I believe that the beast represents loss of hope and despair. And now the beast isn't a tangible thing in this life. I think it's something that is anywhere. It can be with you by yourself because it thrives just like in the show. It thrives on loss of hope and loss of motivation or even your will to live. So like I said, the beast could be anywhere in just any nook or cranny and it just it just wants you to submit and it's just preying on your downfall, basically. So, yeah. The beast, um, I had a couple clips in here just to, ex you know, to show and just entertain my, ah, entertain my classmates. And the lantern, which is what the woodsman was holding, which you'll find out is inhabited by the beast's soul and not the um not the daughter of the woodsman and the woodsman goes back with his daughter and there's a there's a graphic novel out on over the garden wall and I will be buying that don't know why I haven't already but something more to pan over because I don't think this is getting like a revival anytime soon because it was a mini series it's just short-lived and I just rewatch it every time because it's a good show to watch around Halloween time it's so warm and peaceful and I can see myself watching it with orange candles that smell like pumpkin spice and vanilla <laughs> those are like I love those I love those smells you can call me a kid all you want but oh well um the lantern anyway symbolizes blind belief driven by hope and because as long as you have hope the lantern will always be there to guide you through the unknown or the unseen. I probably, I just, I kind of put it on play on words because the lantern guides you to where you want to go if you can't see anything because, ah, everything's unknown, but you can't see everything. Okay, that makes sense. You get it. <laughs> um, and that's, that's all three. 
and some connections that I made that furthermore fueled like, oh, this unknown is just a place where you go when you're, when you're unconscious. Um, in the second episode, don't quote me on this. One of the episodes, I know it's in like the first five, it's in the, like the first half of the, the mini series, um, is when Greg, Wirt, and Beatrice go to Pottsfield. In Pottsfield, they meet all of these pumpkin heads, these alive pumpkin heads with bodies and everything, celebrating the harvest with this big pumpkin, Enoch, and they deceive them some way. I just forgot how. And they go to treason, and then their punishment is labor. And they think that they're digging their own graves, but when they dig, they see a skeleton, and the skeleton just kind of pops up and is just like, oh, it's alive. And it inhabits a new pumpkin. And that's how they all are. They're just, you know, yeah. So when they get to Pottsfield, I forgot to mention this, a pumpkin lady came up to them. They were just like, you're, you don't look like you're ready for the harvest. And they're like, oh, well, I don't know. We're not, we're not from here. So we probably don't know. We're not natives. <laughs> and they just didn't really understand it. And near the end of the episode, Enoch was like, are you sure you don't want to join us? And they're like, no, we got to go back home because they're trying to get back home, but they just don't realize that it, they're just unconscious. So um, Enoch was, well, you're, he was like, you'll join us someday. And when I watched this for the first time, I was like, okay, sure. Yeah, well, of course we all die eventually, but um, what do you mean? What, are you, what do you mean by that? And <laughs> when I started searching this, I learned that Pottsfield is like a direct reference to a potter's field, which is a real thing. Just, you got to look it up. I don't know where it is. I think it's in New York, somewhere, somewhere in the East coast, somewhere, I don't know, somewhere in this country. Um, but a potter's field is basically a common burial ground for unclaimed bodies, unknown bodies. And just, it's just a common burial ground of people who, who didn't claim their, their family. And I was like, wait a minute, they're unknown. They're in the unknown. What? Ah, genius. So <laughs> I was like, okay, that's a reference number one. That's like my favorite reference when I explain this show to people. I was like, what on earth is going on? So um, the second one is kind of, you know, if you're a Greek mythology person, like a Greek mythology fan, you need a coin to ride to the river sticks to the underworld and um Beatrice was trying to help Greg and work at home and she was like you can come meet which or the Aunt Adelaide she'll help you but she really needed them so that um she could so Aunt Adelaide could trap the two boys because I don't know what um, it is with people making, um, older, like, you know, like, oh, I need these children to work for me. I need them young. It's weird. Um, and she needed the scissors so she can cut, um, yeah, that's, that's what she needed for her family. She needed the scissors so that she can change herself and her family back to humans. Um, but, <laughs> um, what I was saying is, cause I, I cause I forgot, um, you need a coin to get to the river stakes of the underworld. And in another episode, Greg and Wirt pose as this man, Quincy Endicott's nephews. And he's very rich. He has his own company and his own tea company, I believe. And his house is so big that it connects to another person, another woman's house. And he saw her one day because they connect and he thought she was a ghost and she thought he was a ghost. And they fall in love because, like, why not? And um, they gave him two coins. They gave Greg, he gave Greg two, two coins. Oh, my goodness gracious. And he threw them into this, this fountain. And now that when I read about it, it was like it was kind of inferring that Greg kind of just threw it away because that would kind of insinuate their fate, maybe. Because they had a ride to fair, had a ride the ferry to Adelaide's so it was like a ride on the river yeah so that was another one it was a small one but I was like okay I caught that though I did catch that it's kind of cool but um that's fun I love talking about over the garden wall the soundtrack is amazing and I'm more on this last thing 
the unknown is not like modern is it's not like modern society at all as opposed to Greg and Wirt's world is it's modern like there's cars there's you know football there's high schools there's people all different colors in this in their own schools and things like that and because just just how I know this is because um Wirt is is white and his crush Sarah is black and how they get to the to the unknown is they go to a graveyard and they try to not stalk her but they want to meet them there and um <laughs> she t- Wirt talks about Jason Funderburger and we didn't know who Jason Funderburger looked like until the end because I was like in my head I was like okay he must be the jock he must be like the football player or the basketball player he must be some sort of athlete because just how Wirt looks his stature he just looked like the nerdy type because he plays clarinet and it's fine I can say that because like I was that person too um and I was just like okay she just she just might be in the jocks and then when I met him I was like he was like this this ugly little just I know beauty is in the eye of the beholder but (laughs) I was like that's Jason Funderburger for real um no so yeah um they meet at the graveyard and they try to run from the police but the police were actually no help like most times um the police are just like, oh, you can't be in this graveyard. And they were like, just kidding. Happy Halloween. And they jumped because they were scared. They were scared out of their minds. So they ran and they ran on top of this wall, the gun wall. And the police officers were like, you can't get on there. Like, I'm actually being serious. I'm actually being serious. And they jumped and they were on train tracks and the train um, came a little closer to Greg and Wirt and they ran and they jumped down this hill into a pond and they were unconscious and that's how they got into the unknown so um lucky their friends got there in time wasn't like a ditch and run type thing there's some they are some day ones so um (laughs) that was um very strange because when I think about the unknown the I don't know it was like it was like it was placed in the 1800s. If you think about the game, The Oregon Trail, just like that. Whatever, I think it's in the, just the 1800s, not the Wild West. It was just like Quaker type deal. It was like that. And I was like, hmm, that's strange as this. And yeah, like they were eating potatoes and molasses. And I'm like, that doesn't go together. Molasses is supposed to be sweet and potatoes are just starch. That's one weird combo so um yeah that's all I'm gonna say on over the garden wall and there's gonna be way more with music and I hope that you enjoy this this one hour nearly one hour episode of me talking because that's it's that's very strange I I get to around like 46 minutes at least of me talking by myself and I assume like I, I know that if I'm talking to somebody else or another guest it's gonna be over an hour because that's just how it is but I never got to almost an hour by myself but yes that's everything I love you all and I will see you next week <laughs>